You're listening to The Traveller's Podcast, a podcast for the over 30s who like to travel. You can follow our adventures, see our honest reviews, and get links to everything mentioned in this podcast at travellers.com. Okay, welcome to The Traveller's Podcast. We're in Series 2, Episode 3, and this episode we are where, Leanne? We're in Croatia. Croatia, one of our favourite countries. And probably if we say, we say that for everyone, I think we say that uh, for every country we go to, it's our favourite country. Uh, but Croatia's got... Um, Croatia you might only be known for its beaches and where Game of Thrones is um, is is filmed, um, which is weirdly, we've actually been to where Game of Thrones has been filmed, but it was in Seville, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, we have. Because it's Dubrovnik that they filmed. In Croatia, yeah, which I haven't been to, actually. But we haven't been to that. So if you're looking for advice on Dubrovnik, this is not the episode for you. <laughs> nope. Because it's never been. <laughs> Although that might change later on this year, because uh, um, if you're listening to this now, you'll know that uh, that the COVID rubbish is stopping us from travelling. Uh, but hopefully in the later in the year, we'll be down towards the Dalmatian coast. That's the plan. That's the plan. Anyway, so give us some factoids about Croatia, Leanne. So Croatia is in Southeast Europe. It's a, one of the Balkan countries, borders Slovenia, uh, which is to the northwest. Uh, Hungary is to the northeast, Serbia to the east, Bosnia and Herzegovina and Montenegro uh, to the southeast. And it also shares a maritime border with Italy. Um, I think we've talked about um, Croatia before in a previous podcast. We talked very much about the Italian influence in the mm-hmm. northwest part of the country. Um, so yeah, mm. a lot of lot of similarities with with Italy as well. Mm. Um, in terms of country size, this means nothing to me, but it might to you. It's twenty one thousand eight hundred fifty one square miles, uh, and has a population of four point two eight million. Uh, most of whom are Roman Catholics, which might seem like a random fact, but over the next few episodes, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Yugoslavian War. Um, and unfortunately, like most conflicts, religion does play a part in that. Particularly in Bosnia, mm. poor Bosnia. So in terms of, of Croatia, um, as, as we've said, it, it's part of the former former Yugoslavia. Before that, like most countries in that part of the world, it was it was occupied by many different people, um, in including the, the Austrian, Austrian-Hungarian uh, Empire. Um, and then up until uh, the war, um, which then it, it did become somewhat controversially and, and still politically causes some... Some conversations in in the Balkans, it it did become um, a a Nazi-backed state during the Second World War. I saw something the other day, just to interject here. I saw something Mm -hmm. the other day about that Bosnians were, what is it they say, up in arms. uh, (laughs) They were annoyed because the Croatian, a new Croatian stamp seemed to celebrate the Nazi occupation of Croatia, which is what we're talking 70 years on and there's still a... It's tricky. They, they had big history with with Italy. You know, Istria is a region that we're going to talk about today. was was very much part of Italy. It's it's a very complicated history mm-hmm. in that part of the world. Very complicated, and one you shouldn't get into as a tourist. Mm-hmm. We've learned. Montenegro was one of our most uncomfortable conversations when we asked about the politics and. Uh, we won't go into it, but essentially there was some passion behind some of the conversations mm. that were there. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, Moving on. So after the war, Croatia did declare its Doing independence again. Um, became part of the um, uh, the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia, and then in 1991 broke away. Uh, about the same time as Slovenia did, as we chatted about in our previous episode, um, and became an independent country. It's now a member of the European Union, but not Schengen. Um, so for anyone who isn't sure what that that is, because we weren't really sure what that was. Um, so the European members of the European Union, um, certain members of the European Union are also members of Schengen. Schengen basically means that there are no border controls, essentially. Mm. So if you want to drive from Germany into Denmark or Germany into Austria, then there's... there's or to Portugal. Or to Portugal or Spain, there is no border control. You just drive straight through. Um, however, there are certain EU members who are not part of the Schengen. The UK is one of them. Um, and Croatia is another. So if you're driving into Croatia, uh, there is a hard border there where you'll be expected to, to show your passports and, and all that stuff. Um, it is classified as a high-income country. So again, anyone who's thinking kind of Central Eastern Europe is poor, Croatia is not one of those countries. Um, it's actually number 46 on the Human Development Index. Nice knowledge. Thank you. And you'll find that things like, um, like for example, wine... Um, will be more like sort of five or six euros as opposed to if you went to Bosnia, it might be more like two or three euros for, for a bottle of wine. Um, you find that uh, the, the prices are probably about 75% of what they would be in the UK, would you say, most things? Yeah, yeah, probably. I think the only thing as well, though, is that Croatia is not part of the Eurozone, so they don't, they don't have the euro, they have the, the kuna, and which I think does maybe keep things slightly below Good point. Perhaps so the something like Slovenia, for example, it does have the euro. Mm. Um, it keeps it a little bit cheaper than there, and mm. it, it it brings for some some fun conversions as well, because it's um only about twelve, twelve, eight, eight, twelve kuna something per pound. Like that. We had a, whenever we go to a new country, we always as we're driving over the border, we work out what the rough approximation is. So. We try and say, right, it's divide by five and times by three, or divide by ten and times by two, or something like that. And Croatia, I s I've forgotten what we said, but I think we just said it was ten to the pound, and we just take the the gain or the loss. I'm still not sure which one. <laughs> I, I don't think I've told you this, but we were in a restaurant in Istria, um, and I went to pay, um, and it was only like a couple of days later I realised that on a say thirty pounds or a thirty euro bill. I left mm -hmm. them 30 euros tip. <laughs> really? Because I honestly thought it was a three euro tip. And he came back out and said, this is too much. And I, was, and I thought, oh, well, I've left them like 20%. So they're probably complaining that, well, not complaining, but just being nice that I've left them a 20% tip, but actually I've left them a 100% tip. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it's is a that <laughs> why I thought Croatia was expensive? Because you were tipping it 100%. Just one, <laughs> just, just one place. But yeah, we did. Uh, I did kind of mess up a little bit there. Mm. So where did we go? So when we spent time in Croatia, we have mainly spent time in the northwest of the country, um, the, the Istrian Peninsula, essentially. Um, we talked in a, a previous episode about our experience in, in Rijeka and Apatia. Um, Apatia is on the Istrian Peninsula, but it's not part of the county of Istria, and Rijeka is a little bit further east. Um, so we talked about those a lot. As I think as we mentioned, Rijeka was part of our second city tour. Um, so it, it's, it's I think it's number two to to Zagreb or maybe number three after split. Um, yeah, I think number three after split. Um, 
So yeah, it's it's very we talked about it before. If you are interested in visiting this this part of Croatia, we would say go back and listen to that episode. We talk a lot about um how it is a great way to get to know Croatia as a community. It's a, it's a city, it's a lot more gritty. It's not kind of like your Dubrovniks um, that you, you see. It's, a, it's, a, it's an industrial working mm. city. Um, but with that comes um, comes a really great experience because you get, I think you get do get a better feel of the country and the people by going somewhere like that rather than the tourist hotspots. I agree, I agree. And if you do want to go back, it's episode eight of, uh, of our Travellers podcast. Um, it's about 25 minutes and it just talks all about Rijeka and Apatia. However, the difference is today that we're going to be talking more about the Istria Peninsula. So if you can imagine that Rijeka is, if you imagine a triangle, um, then the top right of it, so downward facing triangles, so like Africa. So it looks like Africa or India. That's mm. like the peninsula in, uh, of the Istria Peninsula. So the top right would be where Rijeka and Apatia, there's about five, ten kilometres between the two of them. Yeah. Um, where we're going to be talking about today is pr- principally down in the Istrian pr- Peninsula. Um, it's down on the left-hand side. And uh, Dubrovnik, if you can imagine this, imagine the triangle. Well, if you go to the top right and go by about 200 kilometres, you're going to go to the Dalmatian coast, which is where Dubrovnik is. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that um, a lot of people who go on holiday will go to Dubrovnik, will go to um, Split, up that way, which is quite well known as a tourist area. Mm. Uh, but the Istrian Peninsula is known for a couple of, well, three things that we know of. Um, <coughs> the first one is it's known for wine, and it's got mm-hmm. some of the most spectacular wines you're ever going to find there because a lot of, the, um, a lot of the, the wine has come originally, or the vines have come from Italy. Uh, it's known for olive oil which again is no surprise seeing how close it is to Italy. It's mm-hmm. known for truffles. It's basically like one of the most concentrated places in Europe for some of the best truffles you're mm-hmm. ever going to mm-hmm. find. Anyway, I'm going ahead a little bit. So uh, tell us a bit more about uh, Istria. Um, so as you described, Istria is that kind of that kind of upside down triangle. Um, it's in the northwest of Croatia, it borders Slovenia. And if you think about kind of geographically, the tip of that triangle is is more or less opposite to Venice in Italy. Um, so yeah, so we're kind of talking about really, really far, far west of Croatia. In, in, and in terms of that, if you did want to fly into that part of Croatia, you can fly into Croatia itself, into Pula, um, or the other nearest airport is actually Trieste, which is in Italy. Um, and in terms of driving from there through to Croatia, an hour and a half? I would say even less, because Trieste to Rijeka was about 40 minutes, I think. Um, mm. You're frowning at me, which <laughs> means that maybe I might, might have got that wrong. I think you have to drive across Slovenia, so... I think the best thing to do is just go into Google Maps and type yeah. Trieste. It's no more than an hour and a half. <laughs> Max. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the only time we argue is in the car. I mean, it's just directions. And we're arguing now when we're <laughs> essentially... Figuratively in the car. Mm. So tell the kids about Ravine, Al. So Ravine is. Um, was it? Did it originally? Was it originally part of Italy? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Um, so it was. It was governed by the Republic of Venice back in the day. We're talking kind of thirteenth to eighteenth century. Um, it then became part of the Austrian-Hungarian border. Um, but even at that point, the the latest sentence 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 census from them <laughs> um, in 1911 actually showed that, that about 98% of the population was actually Italian speaking and that holds today so it's called uh, the city is called Ravine in Croatian R-O-V 
I-N-J, um, and Rovigno in Italian, R-O-V-I-G-N-O. And actually, all of the signs are bilingual mm. um, in that part of the world. And that is because it is actually still classified as a bilingual city um, in terms of Croatian and Italian. So a huge Italian influence there. And it's just one of those those cities where you... Well, there's villages or towns where you drive into and it takes your breath away because there's a um, there's a castle on an outcrop of rock um, that just that you look at at sunset and it's just the sun's hitting this castle and the beautiful houses and it, you could be in Italy, mm. um, but it's probably about um, I want to say probably about seventy percent the price of Italy, maybe eighty percent the price of Italy. It's not oh, yeah. quite as expensive Italy, but it's certainly not the mo- the cheapest place in Croatia to go um, because. Um, because obviously that's where the Italians will come to holiday because it is cheaper than Italy and it's basically the same. You know, most people speak great Italian, um, but it's an amazing, amazing, amazing town. And it's 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 a strange one because I think a lot of people would tend to go to Pula um, because yeah. that's where they've heard of and that's where your package holiday might take you. But you'd fly to. Hundred percent, but what forty minutes north? Yeah. To go to to Ravine is so Ravine is a hundred percent on our list of places to go back. Some of the most beautiful pictures we ever took were yeah. in Ravine. So when you see those, those films in Italy where they'll they'll show a shot of um of a of a town that kind of builds up to a peak of a church on top mm-hmm. and just surrounded by crystal clear waters that just reflect a perfect blue, it's 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 picture postcard kind of thing without taking any effort. It's just, it is incredible. It is lovely. And that's something to be said about Croatia. No matter where you mm. go, well, certainly we've obviously been to the west of Croatia. Um, it's incredible. We lived, when we, we were lucky enough when we lived in Andalusia, Andalusia was to, we had a house by the sea um, for a couple of years. Um, and we used to wander down and think it's beautiful because within 20 feet we could have our feet in the Mediterranean Ocean but it was not what you expect the Mediterranean Ocean to look like because it was no. seaweed it was dirty um, and nothing to do with you know nothing taken away from the from the area but you go to Croatia and almost everywhere you go you look in the you look in the in the sea and it's like looking in a in a piece of glass because you can you, see the bottom absolutely yeah you can see the bottom it's just beautiful it's crystal the reflections show it's like turquoise and it's just it's incredible so um, uh, apart from in the Far East, we've not seen sea, I don't think, like that, have we? No, no, absolutely. Yeah, white beaches and, and even the, the more kind of pebble beaches are, yeah, very, very clean and very, very lovely. And the weather is great too. Um, you know, you're talking like, like 22, 23 degrees, pretty much guaranteed, um, and 10 hours of sunshine a day from May to September. So why wouldn't you go? Absolutely, it's just... And it's just great, and the people there are fantastic. So, talking of why would you go? What's your, uh, what are your top reasons for going, Leanne? Well, as we said, there's it is it is an incredible part of the world in in, in terms of coastline. Ravine is actually an arch- archipelago. Sorry, say that again. Archipelago. Nice. Struggle with that word. I don't think I knew it until about two years ago. Indonesia. That's when um, we heard it first, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. How do you say it? I say it the same as you. 
<laughs> so it consists of 19 islands. Um, so there's lots of different places to travel. And of course, that means you need to do a boat trip. I'm a big fan of a boat trip anyway. Ah, less so. But mm. there's a reason to get on a boat and go somewhere I'm in. Um, and another great reason to do it in Ravine, not only because of the islands that you can go to, but it has been declared an area of outstanding natural beauty. So there's lots of, of really lovely places to explore. In terms of boat trips, there are lots of, of public boats that, that leave quite frequently from the main harbour in Ravine. We did look at doing a private boat trip, like fishing type thing. Um, our quotes were between 600 and 800 euros for the day, which was a little bit steep for us. Mm -hmm. um, and that was in October. So you've got to bear in mind if you're going kind of peak season, it's probably going to be 50% plus on top of that. Um, so to be honest, we, we but not being strong fishermen, we opted <laughs> for a more economic <laughs> trip um, and just took a boat from the main harbour, which is actually really lovely. There's loads there. I'd say just have a walk around and see which one suits the time that you want to go in and the type of boat you want to go on. Um, we went on kind of your standard big-ish powered motor-powered boat type thing, but there were sailboats there as well, weren't there, and the old wooden wooden boat kinds, if you have a preference. Um, it was. Do you happen to remember how much we paid for our evening boat trip? I think we paid about 20 to 25 euros each. I got that. In my head, I was 60 euros is what was in my head, which yeah. is for about, so maybe between 40 and 60 euros for about two hours, I would have said. Yeah, at least. And there were dolf uh, dolphin hunting, well, not dolphin hunting, but they, were, they took us to where the dolphins were. And there was about five or six boats out where we were all sort of chasing the dolphins. And yeah. uh, we saw some, uh, yeah, just we got some incredible photographs. So if you are going to do it, go um, go to Ravine, go have a wander around, uh, talk to the guys, talk to, they're, they're quite, you know, they all speak great English. Um, and obviously they want you to book with them. So just get an idea of whether they're, you know, how you feel, you know what it's like when you talk to someone, you just feel like mm -hmm. weird about them or you feel good about them. Um, I couldn't even tell you which place we went, but it was um, it was very close to one of the hotels we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, and uh, and they were great. And um, I think you can buy beers on the boat. Um, they took you to where the dolphins were. It was around about five o'clock we got in, got in about seven o'clock, so yep. we saw the sun go down. Um, and it was just a... Which is amazing. I think if you can get, get a boat trip at a time at that time it is really special that sunset agreed agreed and i'm not a big fan of boat trips but that was that, that goes down as one of my favorites um it was fantastic because mm. we don't have to get in the water <laughs> we'll talk we'll talk in another <laughs> series about um about going to where was it we went on that um we got where to do the the scoop not the scuba the what's the one where you put the snorkel up it snorkel oh over in thailand oh i did not enjoy that i thought it was great <laughs> Leanne <laughs> loved it. I hated it. Hated it. Anyway, we will come back to that. So, um, so where are we? We're talking about ravine. We're talking about. So, when you're actually in the town, is there any any way you've got to you've got to look at when you're in the town? I mean, I think I think it's like like we kind of kind of said it. It really is a pitch perfect kind of town. So, just walking around. I mean, it's cobbled streets. It's very narrow. Um, you know, if you do have any difficulty walking, you probably will struggle in in some parts of it but but yeah get your trainers on walk up to the the church which is the church of of saint euphemia and it is it is a really great view from there um and just walking around and there's always stuff going on like we weren't even there in high season so i can't imagine what it's like kind of june july august but we saw a classic car show there's a fashion show one night there's lots of people busking on the streets it's um 
I mean, it is it is touristy. Don't get me wrong. You are going to walk in and feel like a tourist, but sometimes that's kind of nice because there's stuff going on. No, it's, it's and it is it's, it's not the kind of touristy way you'd go to, for example, Marbella Beach, and it'd be eighty percent non-Spanish there. It's sort of, you know, you, you get the feelings like fifty percent Italian, thirty percent Croatian. You know, it feels it's not at all. It's touristy, but it's not. Um, what's the word I'm thinking of when they take advantage of you and sell you balloons on strings and? Yeah, it's not tacky. It's tacky, not exactly. It's not tacky. It is. It is really good. So, um, so the Church of Saint Euphemia is at the very, very top. It's the one you can see from all around, um, all around Ravine. It's a definitely. It's a gentle walk up there, as Leanne says. It's not if you know. It's it's, it's not someone. It's not for you if if you can't walk a you know hundred meters. But if you can carry on walking, steady incline. Yeah, steady incline. It's good. It's good. Um, so we've got the harbour as well, which is great. We also, it won't surprise you to know that we went to a few restaurants there. Just um, going back to the harbour though, one of the, um, so we stayed in Airbnb a little bit, um, about 50 minutes out, outside of Ravine. Um, but he actually recommended to us to go <coughs> to a particular beach and watch the sunset. Um, and it was, it's called Molini Beach, M-U-L-I-N-I. Um and it, yeah, it is. I mean, so many people will say that, go here and watch the sunset, it's great, blah, blah, blah. But I think, yeah, it is It is a really special sound because it's so open and you're just, you're just, you're sat on the end of the, you know, the end of the, the, the harbour and you're just watching just, just what looks like infinite sea in the sun and it's, take a walk down there. It's worth going down there for the sunset more than once. I've never been to a Ibiza because I'm not cool enough. But I'd imagine it's the kind of thing where you'd sit in a cool Ibethan bar, listen to some cool Ibethan music or some cool whatever, have drink some cocktails and watch the sun go down. It's, it's Just very a bit similar. cleaner. A bit cleaner, yes. A bit cleaner and uh, and uh, not quite so many. Anyway, moving on. So the one of the the restaurant we went to, which we were most excited about, was a place called Monday. And how did it go, Leanne? I don't want to talk about it. So Leanne's annoyed and I'm annoyed as well because the thing is, it's one of the most overrated and overpriced places we've ever been to. And we've done quite a few Michelin stars. And I'm not saying this to show off, it's just we save up. Um, as if you saw us, you'd see that, <laughs> that we enjoy our food. And uh, some of our, um, some of our, we save up all our, our money to go to particular Michelin stars. So maybe once a quarter, we might go to a Michelin star restaurant. Um, and this was Michelin star, and we were very excited about it, and it was very disappointing. Mm. Do you remember why we were so disappointed? There was a few reasons. First, I mean, the thing... Right, now I understand. You go to a Michelin starred restaurant, more often than not, you're on a tasting menu. I think you say Michelin. 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 We're saying it wrong. How do you say it? I don't know. Say Michelin. Okay, so you go and you have a you have a tasting menu. It's set. You're not not often you're going to go to a Michelin star restaurant where there's an a la carte menu. Mm -hmm. Fine, get that. So we get there and we're given a choice of a red menu or a blue menu. Red menu mainly meat, 
blue menu, mainly fish. Wasn't it a green menu as well, mainly vegetables? Oh, yeah, but we're not going to have that, are we? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Sorry, veggies. Mm-mm. I'm paying 300 euros a head for some asparagus. So in our world, there's a red menu and there's a blue <laughs> menu. Red meat, blue fish. Fine. But then the thing is, is you, you can only... You have to have the same menu for the table, which, again, I get, because we've been places that have had, like, different... So say you get a a 7, a 12, and a 15-course taste menu. You have to get the same for the table. I get that as well. But when you have to have the same menu that is strictly meat or strictly fish, there's not a lot of variety in that. There's a lot of meat. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of fish. So that, that annoyed me, for one. And then it was when it when it actually came to reading through the menu as well, is it's like there's two types of restaurants that annoy me. One that will just say something like cheese. And you know it's not just cheese. It's gonna be some kind of foam based fondue of cheese. You want a bit more detail. <laughs> and then there's the others that write a book on what the, the dish is. And this one wrote a freaking book. And I think they just dazzled you in detail. So then when you really got there, you'd be impressed. But actually, it was just really complicated for just very mm-hmm. simple food that wasn't actually that good. No. And then the bill came. So <clears throat> in multiples of four, do you want to have a little guess? Let's say multiples of ten. Do you have a little guess of what our bill was for two people? Uh, seven courses, was it? I don't think it was that much. I think it was maybe, maybe with the amuse-bouche that was thrown in at the beginning, which is actually the best thing on the freaking menu, and it wasn't even on the menu. No, they were good. They were good. And matched wines, the total was, Leanne? It was a little over 400 euros. 400 euros. Now, the only the only saving grace from this was that Leanne paid for it, so I didn't have to pay for any <laughs> of it. But it was one of those awkward situations where your wife or your husband has paid for a beautiful meal, and they've, you know, well, paid for a meal, and uh, they've they've obviously spent a lot of money on this meal, and both of you look at each other, and neither of you wants to say that wasn't worth four hundred; that was barely worth one hundred and fifty. But we agreed later on that uh, that it was not worth the the money they asked for. And do you know what I think the best example of what of just where they were going wrong because they didn't get it; they didn't get they didn't get that good food is as much about the experience as it is about the food itself. Now, we just sound really stupid when we say that. We sound like one of those pretentious idiots. Maybe, but I think anyone who else has been to a Michelin-style restaurant or, 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 or likes that world understands that it, it, Michelin-style restaurants take food, they elevate food from a meal to an experience. That's yes. the whole point. Otherwise, mm-hmm. why would you pay that much money for a meal? There's just no mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And the thing for me is at the end of it, we ordered, I think I ordered, I can't remember what, I think maybe I ordered brandy and you ordered um, what they called the Hennessy Expo mm, brandy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Hennessy Expo, as you probably know, is usually about 12 to 14 euros, pounds per 25 mil. It's, it's a big deal. And it, you don't order, well, some people order it because they want to be a big deal, but we order it because we really like it and we like someone who understands how to, this sounds really weird, how to handle brandy. But it's one of those weird things where you just need, like, brandy's like a good wine. You can't just take open a good wine, pour it in a glass and go, do you want some lemonade? Pour in a that? shot glass and go, here you go. Mm. So what happened to the Hennessy, the cognac, the XO, the 14 euros a 
25 mil. They brought it in a sherry glass. Now, I understand if that means nothing to you, and if it doesn't, ignore me for the next 20 seconds. If it <laughs> does, you will understand my outrage. And I did send it back and ask for a big glass, and they brought it in a big red wine glass, which was marginally better. But, I mean, come on. We went to a really nice restaurant um, in Rot 7 Pole, which we'll talk about another time, mm -hmm. another day. Mm -hmm. Ordered the same drink after our Christmas do, and it came on a little... A little pot of steaming water to make it warm and a proper glass you can sit around again it's an experience you don't order a 14 pound shot of cognac to just shoot down mm -hmm. it's not the point come on try harder so moving on from monte which is a place you should not go although we should say that actually plenty of people on TripAdvisor do rave about it there are also other people who concur with our with our review, but if you've got a few hundred quid going spare and you want to give it a go, then go for it. I think that I think I think those good reviews are a result of exactly what you said before. Because you walk in, you go, "This is fancy." You sit down, and they and and they've got like a waiter, they've got a sommelier, they've got a uh, they've got like a head waiter, they've got like a fancy. They're all menu. very self-important, by the <coughs> way. Oh yeah, oh yeah, hundred percent. Um, but they, because they've got all of the, like my mother would call it, fur, fur coat and no knickers, mm. they've got all of that business going on, then you walk in there and you think, this must be, place must be good. And if you've not been to Michelin before or Michelin nominated before, you'd look at it and go, well, this is, must be what it's like and it's cool. But if you've been to any kind of Michelin or Michelin nominated before, like we've said before, we went to one in Toledo, we went to Michelin in Toledo, Michelin to nominated, and that kicked the living, can I say shit? Sure. Living shit out of that restaurant because they just, the food quality was great, the service was great, and nobody thought that they were self-important and they were, they were, you know. Anyway, so we're going to move on from that and go to the other end in terms of name. So Monte Restaurante sounds quite fancy. Mm. What's the opposite of a fancy name like Monte Restaurante? Snack Bar Rio. And it was brilliant. I would go there time and time again over Monte without even thinking about it. I'm going to go there. Even if you there. were paying. I would go there, I would eat, and then I'd sit down with the manager and say, you need to rename your restaurant because it's an awful, awful it's name. a very misleading name. Snack Bar Rio, you, you think, well, that's clearly going to sell kebabs and pre-warmed chips and the odd bit of, I don't know, stuff they bought cheaply, like nuggets or something mm. at Costco. But Snack Bar Rio was fantastic, and it's not a snack bar. Um, no, it's, it's firmly a restaurant. I don't know why it's called a snack bar. Terrible name. But white tablecloths, um, one of the best waiters we've ever met there because he was... Um, <laughs> He was. He'd got such a such a personality. He'd sit down and he'd be like, he was one man serving like nine, ten, twelve tables, and he was just, you know, you know those waiters you go in and they just know when you've run out of wine. So they'll walk across, drop a plate of fish off at one table, go and pick up a napkin up from the table, and then walk over to you and pour your wine whilst they're talking to the table behind you and telling you about the desserts. That was this waiter. Mm -hmm. He was amazing. So, I think I had to talk you into going to this one, Leanne. No, you did, because one, you told me it's called Snack Bar Rio, and I was mm -hmm. like, mm, no. Second, it was right on the waterfront in the middle of tourist town, so it was like, oh, how good is it going to be, really? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you did, but I'm really glad that you did. 
just to be clear, I didn't. It wasn't some amazing thing that I'd worked it out. I just looked at TripAdvisor and it was like one of the best rated ones on TripAdvisor. Yeah. It is. It's number said, five, actually. Yeah, people had said actually, forget the fact that it's called snack bar because it's nothing to do with snack bar. No. So what did we eat? I mean, we, we had a couple of starters. I remember we had the, the tuna tartare, which was pretty decent, That's but the, the standout for me by a country mile. Mm. And we ate a lot of truffle pasta when we were in Istria. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't, you can't go into a restaurant without seeing, like, ten different things with truffle on the menu. And you should order every single one of them because the truffles are unbelievable. But this was just a really simple white sauce pasta tortellini dish with a Frig load of black truffle on top. Frig load. And it was so good. It, it was, was really so good. good. Like Al and I do this this thing where we we swap meals. So I don't think I've actually eaten a meal to myself for what, 12, 13 years now. <laughs> like we, we ordered two different things that sound good and we swap halfway through. I can count on one hand the number of times I've not wanted to swap, and that mm. was one of them. It was so good. And just to give you context, what I ordered was the lamb chops, I think. I'm saying that weird. Lamb chops. Out of the lamb chops, which is usually Anne's favourite dish. Mm-hmm. I didn't want lamb chops. But she, I was like, do you want to swap these and have these mm-hmm. last two lamb chops for your pasta? She's like, nope, I do not want to do that. She did, but um, yeah, it was reluctant. Mm. Um, so we had some, we had a, did we share a bottle of wine? Yeah, I think Sounds we like shared us. a bottle of wine. I think we might have had a, one of the local brandies afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um and as you said, really great service, so friendly. The place was busy and we didn't wait for anything. And then the bill came and it was about 70 euros for a lot. Which when, when you're c- coming off the back of a really crappy Michelin star 400 euro meal, it felt like a real bargain. So just, just to put this in context, so we could go on Monday and we could eat in the Michelin star. Then we could go Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday for the rest of the week to Snack Bar Rio and spend the same in total for the rest of the week as we did in the fancy place. And, and have, have better food better and a better food. time. And better service. Mm-hmm. Well done, Snack Bar Rio. Snack Bar Rio. So you want to be going to TripAdvisor, you want to search for Snack Bar Rio, you want to take all your preconceptions, put them behind you and get in there. And the most important thing you have to do is have some truffle pasta. Yes. So uh, anywhere else we went? So I think the only other restaurant that really stood out to me was the place, I think it was actually the first place that we ate in Ravine that you found, uh, which is called um, Sigutra. And we sat on, it is, it is a restaurant you go inside, but we sat, it's kind of on an alley, isn't it? So we sat mm. like on the terrace, I guess, which is actually in the kind of the cobblestone alley. Very romantic, very, very holiday, very mm. lovely. Um, and had some really, really great fish and seafood. We did. We did. It's almost like I think they might have bought like two restaurants opposite each other, or at least they've owned two properties opposite each other on the alley because it seems like the restaurants on one side and the kitchens on the other. Um, so the smells are amazing, um, and we we had uh, no, we had what, what's interesting because we had uh, pinchos, which is a northern Spanish dish, which is generally served mm-hmm. on. It's traditionally served on on um, on bread. So if you've ever been to Spain or been to a Spanish restaurant and you've had some kind of um, like. Uh, meat or chorizo or something like that served on a little slice of what looks like French bread. Um, that's that's called a pincho and it's from the north of Spain. So the pinchos to start, which were amazing, we had like six or seven, um, and they just went over thought. They were just things like this is simple mushroom. food done well. Exactly. This was this is mushroom. This is tomato. This is great. Um, um, 
something like Rocket and Mozzarella, for example. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, that was fantastic. And then we did we have some seafood? What was the seafood we had? Do you remember? So I had the mussels. I had the mussels in like a creamy, garlicky, mm. white wine sauce. You know, it's the one that you want to take a chunk of bread and just stick it in there and leave I it for 20 did. minutes. Probably. I think we did do that. Really good mussels. I think we all went seafood, actually. I think we mm. also had some prawns. And I want to say sardines. I think so. Just like grilled, just real simple grilled seafood. And it's like one of those mm. seafoods where you feel like it's probably was swimming two hours earlier. And it's just got big, big chunks of salt on it. Bit of pepper. It's grilled. It's taken to your plane. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a really decent bottle of wine, which probably accounted for like a third of our bill, the bottle of wine. Yeah, which was recommended to us. So again, really friendly service, <coughs> happy to talk you through the menu, recommend different things, which I think is important, especially in a fish restaurant when you, you know, you want to kind of take their lead in terms of what's good and what's mm-hmm. fresh and yeah, really, really friendly staff. And again, such good value. We're talking like right in the middle of Tourist Town Ravine mm-hmm. and we paid about 60 euros. Including like 20 euros worth of wine. Yeah. So fantastic. It's packed. Um, but just go up there and just go and wait because that's all we did. Went up there and waited and uh, the table's turned over quite quickly. Uh, particularly if there's two of you. If there's like 10 of you maybe need to um, need to book mm-hmm. beforehand. So talking of great wine, on to one of our favourite subjects. Did we go anywhere and try any Istrian wine? Um, yeah, maybe. We did. Yeah, we did. This one was actually recommended by your dad. Oh. Mm. Just, um, just a quick aside. My dad is a professional, alco- a professional wine taster. Um, <laughs> he has a website. Uh, he's a journalist, a wine journalist, and um, midweek wines. If you're interested, yeah, midweekwines.com, um, and. Um, He's fan- and he gets sent lots and lots of different wines from around the world, generally from supermarkets, so he can tell you what the best value wine is for you to drink this Friday. So um, he told us to go to this place called Matosefic. It's Matosefic. Am I saying that right? Yeah, is it itch? Matosefic. Ah, there you go. That could be it. Um, and it was. We went to like three or four wineries, and it was one of the friendliest. They were... They were set up definitely for tasting. Yeah, definitely. You go to other ones and, and it's great. You'll pull up. It feels very local. They'll be very nice. They'll pull you a glass of wine. But if you want to sit down and have a tasting experience, mm-hmm. this is the only one that we found that actually did that. Actually, that's a good point because we did go to another one on the way back from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was lovely because we turned up and it was a family. It was basically a house. Um, and the uh, and the dad and the two two sons were out picking grapes and we and as they turned up we said can we have some try some wine and, and the dad was like i don't speak english but the sons do and the son said we're, we're, we're picking we're literally picking our what picking our grapes at this point to make our wine can you come back maybe tomorrow or the mm-hmm. next day or something like that which is lovely but at the same time if you've traveled an hour out you don't want to be going to somewhere like that mm-hmm. whereas Mat- matosevic apologies to all the croatians listening um was just brilliant you walked in and it had got, it had got a, uh, did we have to do a tour there? Or was it just tasting? No, it was just a tasting. Like it's in like a, a little garden area and then they have like the, the bar, cellar, shop type thing there. But no, we didn't, we didn't, I'm sure you can do a tour of the winery, but we, we didn't. Smiliest girl in the world. Mm-hmm. She was lovely. And, uh, and she basically comes over and goes, and she almost guides you through it. She goes, right, what do you want to do? So I think that um, it was, was it six euros for three tasting glasses? Yeah. Eight. It was about, how much was it a bottle? Uh, 
Um, Jabari is about between eight and sixteen, depending on obviously the the type. But yeah, reasonable, uh, really reasonable. Reasonable, and this is definitely set up for the tourist. In that, if you go in, for example, Mostar, and you have a tasting glass, and you get to know them, they'll pour you two hundred mil as a tasting glass, and then you all get a bit drunk, and then you'll roll home. Whereas this place was definitely a little bit more of a tasting. You'd yes. probably more like to get 25, 30 mil of wine, but it's great wine. And then they take you through all the different wines they do. They do a particular one called Iron Witch, I think was it called? Yes, they did, like a, um, like a, port. Like a port, yeah. Which is quite unusual to, to see outside of Portugal. A fortified wine, it was about 16%, and that was great. So... Matosevich, you'll see the um, you'll see the link in the show notes. Definitely a place that you want to go if you want to see a guided tour. And and especially I think if you've not experienced Istrian or Croatian wine before yeah. either, it's I mean they're they're pretty solid kind of examples really, aren't they? Of like apart from the Iron Witch, there was nothing that was really kind of blew our minds in terms of that was particularly unusual, but it was just a really good example of great Istrian wine. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, from there, we went right into the country, and we went to one of the one of our favourite places, um, which is the olive oil place. It was now we thought we thought we were going to go to this olive oil factory, but it mm. turns out we just turned up in some dude's house. I think it was even a shed. I'm not even sure it was his house. <laughs> and in the, in the corner, he made wine and he made olive oil. Mm, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. It's it's spelled Marceta, M-A-R-C-E-T-A. Um, and they make olive oil and they have some different liqueurs there as well. Um, I think they did have a couple of wines, but it's not why you go. You go for the olive oil. Um, I mean, they've done really well. They've won many, 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 many prizes over the years, haven't they, for this olive oil? And it is pretty special. So special, in fact, that we we have a, a bottle in our in our kitchen, which I'd say there's about a fifth left in. There's not much at all. It was only 250 mils to start with. Um, and we bought this back in October. Mm -hmm. It is currently at time of recording May. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to finish it. We are so stingy with it. Mm -hmm. And we're not usually stingy with it. I think, just to give you an idea of, the, of how we value it, we tend to, one of our favorite things to do is to go and get some hard cheese, cut it into little triangles, pop it on a plate, cover it with that olive oil and put loads of mm. loads of proper kosher salt flakes on them. Oh, I'm dribbling thinking about it. <laughs> it's amazing. Anyway, so that's going to be in the show notes, but that's definitely worth going just because it looks like you look at the bottle and you think it must be some kind of huge place mm -hmm. and you turn up and it's just, just some dude in his dungarees who's really socially awkward but great. <laughs> and really passionate about what he does exactly. and puts so much love and care into it and you can tell. Exactly. And he's such a lovely bloke and uh, when he offers you wine, take it because his wine's about, I'm sure it's about 20%. Um, it's, uh, it's amazing. <laughs> Just don't drive after I was it. driving that day. So <laughs> I can't tell. Okay. So we also went to Pula, didn't we? Yeah, I guess just a quick note on this because we only we only actually spent the day there. Mm -hmm. um, so Pula is about day 45, 45 minute drive from Ravine South. So it's kind of getting onto the tip of the Istrian Peninsula. Um, it is it is the kind of the capital of of that region. It's the biggest city, um, and historically, it's it's quite an important important part of, of that region. So it's it's worth it's worth a visit. Couldn't tell you loads about it, but well, what about the amphitheatre? 
Well, that's the thing, isn't it? The architecture. So it, it's it is um, as we said, kind of Istria was was part of Italy for a good while. So the the architecture is very much influenced by that. So it has um, a lot of different Roman buildings. The most famous one being the Arena, which is um, a really well preserved Roman amphitheater. Think Colosseum but slightly smaller, um, but probably in a better nick, mm. to be honest. Mm. Um, and there's lots of different things. It's a main square. Um, I mean, the main things to see, I'll give you the names, the Arch of Sergi, the Temple of Augustus, uh, the Communal Palace. They're all in the center. They're all within really easy walking distance. Um, and, and once you've had a good mooch round in the lovely autumn sun, there are some pretty good bars and restaurants to stop at too. There are. It, it felt to me a lot like... Uh, if you've ever been to Plovdiv in Bulgaria, which again is very much lots of Roman architecture and archaeological business going on there, felt very much like that. Um, and and in terms of wine bars as well, and Plovdiv, if you've ever been to Plovdiv, it's an amazing city and some great wines. And you're going to pay about a third of what you pay in Pula for the wines. But um, definitely, it's a, Pula is a great place to go and try some wines. Did we go to what was that bar called? We went to where we had wines and cheese. Um, it was called Boca, B-O-C-A, um, and they had a lot of wines from from Istria and across Croatia. They did some really good like cheese and meat boards as well. So mm. a great place. And I mean, I think they did bigger dishes, but it really struck me as a great place to go. They had lots of different wines by the glass, and, and just yeah, have have a bit of a snack there really, um, and a nice terrace. Um, yeah, mm. so we couldn't tell you loads about Pula, but for a, a day trip, if you're in the area, I definitely recommend it. And I think it's one of those, like, history is one of those places where, although it's set up for tourism, it is, you, you don't feel like you're getting your pants pulled down there. You feel like you are going there and the guy who came out from Boca um, was local and he's like, right, okay, so what do you like? What wines do you like? And we're like, we like this, we like that. And he went, right, okay, well, don't have those. Have one of these and one of these. And by the way, this is from the same village as I'm from, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and you just feel that you feel like they are trying to give you the best experience as opposed to trying to sell the stuff they want to sell. And you know what? I think just briefly going back to Monte, the the restaurant I ranted about before. The one we didn't like. I think why it made me so angry was it is it was the sad anomaly in all of that experience mm. in terms of people wanting to share their food and show you the quality of their ingredients and produce and and how proud they are of what they produce, and quite rightly so. Mm. And then you go somewhere where they should be celebrating it, and it just fell flat. So do you know what? Don't bother. If you're in Istria, find your corner bars, your local restaurants, because they're going to have the best the best food you're going to find. Exactly. Exactly. So is there anything else that listeners need to think about or know in terms of Western Croatia? I don't think so. As we said, if you're a bit more interested in, in kind of the city rather than tourists, then go back and listen to our our post on on Rijeka. Um, but I think particularly again, if you if you have a car, if you want to do some road tripping, it's such a great region to go to. You can drive from Venice through the places we talked about in Slovenia to Istria, probably within within two to three hours. Um, yeah, it's a really accessible part of the world. Um, and if you want to do Italy on a little bit of a budget, try Austria. Absolutely. Okay, so that's probably the end for episode three of season two. Have we got that right? Yep. Where are we next week? Do you remember? Bosnia. Oh, we're not. <laughs>
Yeah. So those of you who know us will know that Bosnia is one of our favourite places in the whole of Europe. You say that about everywhere. Well. It really is, though. We really mean it this time. <laughs> so until next time, uh, we will, um, obviously, all the show notes are going to be in the link uh, below. Let's have a look at our show notes, and you should have links to all the places we talked about, apart from potentially the place, the overpriced restaurant, which we might not No, no, we'll to. put that in there. It's important, okay, we'll you know. It in there. It's important you should avoid it. <laughs> um, so for now, it's goodbye from me. Bye from me. See you soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Thravelers podcast. Thanks for listening and head on over to thravelers.com for all the show notes and links mentioned in the show. Thank you.